time of year. It's Christmas. And you know, what we see in Christmas time very often is uh, Instagram and Facebook and all the different social media start to fill up with uh, people posting about how awesome their lives are, how great things are, and how wonderful their lives are. And so we see hashtags, best Christmas ever, or best life ever, best, we saw one week, best home ever, best job ever, and all these things. And, and then the letters come. Y'all get the letters? Now I think some people just send pictures of their perfect family or whatever, but we get the Christmas brag letters, right? And they tell about... Uh, what they don't do is they don't tell about like how this was a hard year, how they suffered, or you know how their kids you know were flunking school or anything. It's always the great stuff, you know. So and so had a new baby and they got this new job and all this great stuff's happening and it, and it really puts, especially this time of year, puts a lot of pressure on us to have it all right and have it all together and have it all these things. And and the thing is, is what we've seen uh, uh, over and over again is that. Uh, that God is writing our best life. You know, I heard um, Lady Catherine Wolf. We talked about her the first week. Catherine Wolf um, uh, had a, um, a, a just a weird, strange like stroke at, in, in her early twenties. This is promising life, and all of a sudden, nearly dies and is severely disabled to this day. And to hear her say, I, "This is my best life," because God is writing it. And he doesn't make mistakes. And so we've seen that, that Jesus offers us the best life. He offers us the best home, the true home for our hearts here in this, in this chapter 14. And he also, he's offered us a, a, a true, the, the best possible job, the best career, the best calling that we can have by following him. And we've got to talk about family. Because family is really central. It's really important. So there's this, especially Christmas, you know, we start, the family becomes really kind of present. We're, we're maybe perhaps visiting with family, we're hanging out with family, or we're missing family. And we begin to realize how central and important family is. And so it's no wonder we see the posts about how perfect people's families are or whatever. And then you see a, a photo like this, which kind of is probably more true to life. Which inside the Instagram box, it looks perfect, but outside of that, it's not so perfect, is it? And we kind of all relate to that. And I, I, my favorite part about this picture is how the, one of the kids is left out of the picture. Um, we never do anything like that, do we? Um, well, here's the thing. For us, family is so central. For some of us, nothing comes before family. We sacrifice everything for our family. Family, and, and so in that, family can be a great source of pride. It can also be a great source of shame. Um, family, I think, really defines us as people. And it may be a, a sense of, oh, this is my family heritage. Uh, or some of us are defined by trying not to be like our family. You know, we think about our family like, oh, man. I'm just going to distance myself from them. You know, I don't want to be known. I don't want to see around them or whatever. And people even change their name legally to try to get rid of that family thing or whatever, right? But regardless, it's defining you. So, you know, here's the thing. Like, there's a billion-dollar industry now, Ancestry.com and a few others. And, and now you can get your DNA swabbed and you're, you can, like, see your heritage or whatever. And sometimes people are really shocked, you know. Uh, about where they're from or whatever. Um, 
you know, J- JD, uh, we, as we were talking about this sermon, we've been preparing together. He says, I'm afraid to do that. <laughs> he's going to go find out. He's like, you know, mostly aborigine or something, you know, like something really weird, whatever. But w- there's just kind of this fascination with it. And I- I'm kind of feeling it myself because uh, man and I, are, we're going to be visiting Ireland next year. And there's a distinct story from the Jeffreys name, which I think they actually pronounce Jeffers. But don't sell anybody. Uh, you know, us southern rednecks eventually changed it to Jeffries. We like that better or something. But, we're, you know, we're going to go back, and literally, uh, there's a, a home. It was, they call it the castle. It's a Rothronan castle. It's not really a castle. It's really small. It's maybe like a little fortified garrison or something. But it's still there. It's kind of in ruins somewhat. But that's where my family lived. Christopher Jeffries, who sent his sons to Charleston, in either coffins or another kind of a wooden box with holes drilled in them to get them away from the conflict that was happening at the time. And Robert died in the passage. Henry, my ancestor, made it. And so we're going to kind of follow that. And that kind of gives me a sense of, wow, there's a deeper history here and so on, those kind of things. And so family is important and it's really central. And family can be a huge blessing, can't it? When family comes around... And helps you, you realize, you know, and you realize the importance of family and and coming together and supporting one another. But there's a problem. Families are flawed, aren't they? Families are broken. Sometimes families where some of the worst pain and struggle happens in our lives. Uh, And and here's the thing. Family, okay, it should be important to us. It should be a blessing, but they're flawed. And they will not last. They will not give us what we ultimately seek in our families. We think about the things that we might seek in a family. Security, love, acceptance, even joy. But ultimately, no matter how wonderful your family may be, it's going to fail eventually. It's going to fail us. And here's the good news, though, is that Jesus here in this passage, in uh, John chapter 14, he promises that he will not leave us as orphans. And this means, in, 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 in kind of in a, a different way, it means that we are now being offered the best family. So he offers us the best family. And so there's three truths we need to recognize in this to see where he's going with this okay and the first thing we need to recognize is that we are spiritual orphans we are spiritual orphans so jesus is at he's at the last hours of his life he this is what they call the upper room discourse he's there with his disciples and in a few hours he will be betrayed arrested beaten mocked all that and will die on the cross and he is there remarkably telling them don't let your hearts be troubled you know, he's trying to comfort them. And he's in, but, he's, he, but he's also, he's informed them that he's going to be leaving them, that he's going to die in the previous chapter and so on. And he, so Jesus was giving them words of comfort. And then he goes on to say, I will not leave you as orphans. And this, the, word, the Greek word here is actually where we get our word orphan. It's the word orphanos. And, and, and it very much like our word orphan, it means to have your parents die or, or to leave you and no longer be around. And so if you can imagine what that means for a child. 
for a child to lose their parents, especially in the ancient world, meant uh, to be destitute, to be, you know, have no means to take care of themselves. Nothing. They are hopeless. But it also meant, and I think this is kind of where Jesus was, I think, going with this as well. Jesus is also using another sense that very often when a rabbi or a teacher or an instructor died, the followers and students would have been called orphans. And so Jesus is saying, I will not leave you as orphans. And so if you can imagine, another scenario might be, and this is that time of year, bowl season, you know, some of the college football fans in here, whatever, coaches are leaving, they're getting fired. What happens to a team? When their coach, if there's good, if he's been good and he's been, or he's gotten hired off to a better school, right? I think some of our UCF fans got that last year. Kind of a bummer, right? Um, and your good coach goes flying off somewhere else to get a better job, and you are left trying, you know. And so every, it's kind of sometimes chaos and and problems can ensue. And so here's that's this is the the situation that Jesus' disciples were in. This was their guy. He was their Messiah. They had pinned their hopes on this one dude. And now he's saying, oh, by the way, I'm leaving you. I'm going to die. And so they must have felt destitute. They must have felt like orphaned. And Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But I think Jesus is also pointing to a deeper spiritual reality here. Okay? The deeper spiritual reality that, um, uh, that, are, that um, he's saying that without him, we are ultimately spiritual orphans. Without Jesus, we are spiritually destitute. We are spiritually lost, abandoned. As a matter of fact, when some translations will say, instead of orphans, they say, I will not leave you destitute. That's a good word here. So Jesus making a deeper statement about where we are. Paul, the apostle, uses some even more dire language when he says that we are, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And it even says that we are by nature children of wrath. It's a bad spiritual picture. Here's the thing. Because our modern culture tells us that spiritually you can do it on your own. You, know, get, you just find your, you pick your choices of, of, of options out there of spirituality and faith. And that's a private, personal issue. And that you, you, know, you just choose whatever. It might be the Dalai Lama. It might be Buddha. It might be Allah, it might be all these other things, but hey, just whatever, pick whatever off the shelf. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, without me, you are spiritually orphaned, destitute. There's a great picture of this. Y'all may have had to read this in high school, but, um, or college maybe. Remember the old story, Oliver Twist? When Oliver Twist was born, uh, he very quickly he becomes an orphan. I think he's born, his mom died, dad is gone. And so he's an orphan and he's put into this orphanage where he is abused, bullied, beaten, and, and, and made to work and slave like a slave. 
And it's just this horrible situation. Finally, Oliver Twist decides, this is too much, I can't handle it. And he runs away and leaves. Then he goes to London, and there he finds this group of friends who seem really cool or whatever. And, and there's this old, there's this guy, uh, I can't think of his name, F- Faggot or something, um, this guy's there taking care of them. And he's like, oh, this is great. Somebody to take care of us, whatever. Well, it turns out this guy's a ruthless, evil mobster. And now he's going to exploiting these children to pickpocket and steal for him and do all these things. And it's just a utter bad situation. And it's such a great picture of us. Because like Oliver, we're, you know, we're orphans. We're in these terrible situations, spiritually destitute. And we go off trying to find other ways, other solutions, other t- ways to try to not be an orphan. And here's the thing. If you're an orphan, you're always an orphan. It's a reality that's always going to be there. Unless, unless something happens, Right? And that's what happens at the end of this story. And it's the same story of little orphan Annie, remember? And Big Daddy Warbucks comes along and does what? Adopts. And that's what he's telling us here. First of all, we are spiritual orphans. But in him, we can be spiritually adopted. And this is one of the greatest truths of the Christian faith. Probably the most profound religious truth out there. There's no religion that would talk about a God, the God that we worship, whatever, would actually adopt us into his family. Other religions is you just have to please him, do the right things or whatever. And, and the gospel tells us, the good news of Christianity is, is that God actually it uh, adopts us into his family if we believe and trust in Christ. If we receive by faith what he has done, we are adopted. And there's a lot to say about that. There's a lot of passages in scripture that, that, that teach us that. So, for example, I think these should be on the screen. Um, do, do Galatians first. It's the second one. It says, so in Christ... You are now children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ has clothed yourselves in Christ. So through faith, we are now children of God. Romans 8, bring that up for me. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit does not make you slaves so that you are live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So we are adopted. This is a profound, amazing truth. That if you believe and trust in Jesus, God is now your loving Heavenly Father. And all the good things that come with that. Now, some of y'all have bad bad situations with that. I did. And so sometimes I have to reverse. (laughs) Reverse psychology on it, you know. Like this is how... God is not. <laughs> but that's the truth. So, so here we got to get, though. How does that happen? How does God adopt us? How does, what really happens here? How are we adopted by God? And what we're told here by Jesus is he's not going to leave us as, as orphans, but rather he will come again. And, and more than that, he is going to send a helper. A, a helper Paraclete, somebody who comes alongside. In other, in other words, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, that's going to come 
and literally dwell in us. Thus connecting us with all that Jesus is and all that he has done for us. So if you've ever wondered, how can a guy dying, you know, a peasant Palestinian dying on a cross 2,000 years ago, any relevance to me at all? And it wouldn't if God's Holy Spirit didn't come and you literally spiritually unite you and me with Jesus himself. And so that the life that he lived, that perfect selfless life, becomes our life. That death he died becomes our death. The, 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 the resurrection life that he raises again becomes our resurrection life. The relationship that he has, the perfect eternal uh, relationship that he has with God the Father becomes our relationship. And so, in, and so that's why over 120 times the Bible uses the phrase in Christ, in him, in Jesus. We are in him because he has sent his Holy Spirit to us. Read with me in uh, verses 18 to 23 in this passage. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So now when you read that in light of what I just said, the spirit is going to come and he's going to unite us with him. And so Jesus is saying that though he's about to go and die, he's going to be resurrected, though he's going to be ascend to the Father and the Lord's no longer the world is no longer going to see him because he's not physically manifest. We will see him through faith, and even if we die, we will live because of Jesus's resurrection. And so, we are not going to be left as orphans because Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit who will unite us with him and with the Father. And so to 16 and 17, he says it. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of God. And so now, here's the thing. We now have the best family. There is no better people, person to have be in family with. Than God Himself. Because who who would not who has not had the fantasy of some rich uncle somewhere you don't know about? That's the kind of family you want, right? And that's what was going on here. He's saying the best possible person to be in family with is God. And we're told we get the inheritance. Because we are now sons, we are heirs with Christ. So, yes, you have a rich uncle. A rich father. That's good. That's what he's saying here. And here's the thing too. In that, your position is secure. It's done. You can't unadopt yourself. 
Okay, you can't. And this is, it also gives us a secure identity. So what, what am I? What if, what if the elders and people of Vintage Grace decide I, they don't like me as their pastor anymore? And I, they fire me. Then what? Who am I? I can't lose this identity. I can lose pastor identity. What if my health is failing? And I can't be what I thought I used to be. I can't lose this identity. I can lose those other identities. But here's the thing. You cannot be unadopted by God. It is impossible. He doesn't lie. And he will not go back on his word. It's good news. And so because of this, because the reality that we're spiritually orphans, but we in Christ are spiritually adopted, that means we are now a new spiritual family. We are now a new spiritual family, okay? We, so here's that. We belong to a household now that is larger than you can imagine. It is bigger than you could ever imagine, okay? Because of, we are now accepted and connected into the Holy Trinity, we are now connected to every other believer ever. Does that make sense? So believers that lived thousand years ago, we are connected with them. This is what uh, um, the author of Hebrews chapter 12 says, a great cloud of witness that we are connected to believers, not just here in uh, Oakleaf or wherever you're from, but if you go across the world, you go to another side of the world and you meet somebody in Christ, they are now new family. They are connected to us. So that means you are connected to every other believer in this room. Now look around. Seriously, look around. I know it's awkward. But look around. You are, con- you are now connected in a way that is so much more powerful and profound than blood could ever be. It's, it's very important to us. It means that we're connected. So how, are, how does that work? So I know some of y'all... You know, if you plug your computer into the like network wall cable or your Wi-Fi, how does that work? Most of us have no idea. Most of us could care less, but it connects us, right? So let's just go there, right? Who cares? I don't understand it. It's spiritual, but it's real. Now, some of you techies are like, I know exactly how that works, you know, but that's fine if you do, okay? But most of us don't even care how it works. As long as it works. When it doesn't work, we start looking at the box trying to think we figure it out or something. It's like, it's like when your car breaks down. You know, you look under the hood. Who, most of us don't even know what that means. I'm looking at it. It's there. Okay. <laughs> but we, we, so, okay, it means that the church boasts universal, that means every Christian that's ever lived and will live, and local here has immense significance for us. Okay, so the importance of the church. And so there was a title of a book not too long ago that said, I love Jesus, but not the church. That's garbage. Now, yes, is the church messed up? Is it broken? Is it warped? Yes, it's a bunch of sinners coming together. You know, you, you add sinners into a room, you have reality TV. That's what it is. 
It happens in the church. It doesn't mean we're perfect and all of a sudden we're just whitewashed and we all look great and perfect or whatever. The church should be messy because that's the reality of what the church is. So we can't, you can't say, I, I, I love Jesus but not the church because Jesus now is the church. We are vitally, spiritually connected to him. So um, that's why in the Apostles' Creed, We also say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And it's important. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, pastor, preacher up in Manhattan, makes a great point that there's a reason it says, I believe in the church. It requires belief. It requires faith to believe that somehow we're connected. Black, white, rich, poor, man, woman, all of us are connected in in a very unique amazing way that is diversity the world doesn't understand and in, in, in connection so it also means then if you're in the family you share dna and i know y'all know what this means because that means you get genetic features and characteristics that get passed along into the family right and sometimes that's a great thing you know if your family's tall and beautiful, whatever, but if they're short and squatty and, you know, whatever, you know, there's sometimes we think, oh, I got the bad genetics, you know, or whatever. But we understand the idea of genetics, uh, the, the definition of uh, genetics or DNA might be something like this. We talk about DNA, not as the microscopic coding or in our bodies, but Uh, DNA means the fundamental and distinctive characteristics or quality of someone or something, especially when regarded as unchangeable. And so because we're now vitally connected to Jesus and the Holy Trinity through the Holy Spirit by believing and trusting in Him, we're now connected to one another. We now share a certain DNA. That's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12 Verse 50, he says, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What is he saying there? This was an instance where his physical, biological brother and mother come to trying to seek him out. And he says, the true mother, my true brother, are those who do the will of my father. Now, what he's not saying here, okay, this, this is where, like, Oh no, Russell's stepping into legalism. Now he's going to start bashing us with how we need to be and what we need to do. And Jesus is not saying that, okay? What he's saying here is, if you have, a, this, if you have this DNA, you're going to do the will of the Father, okay? In other words, so we start talking about discipline and uh, what we need to be doing as Christians, okay? We all really understand that, okay? In other words, let me put it this way, Okay? Okay, when we love something, we become very disciplined about it. What are some examples I could give? Your job. If you love your job, you're probably going to sacrifice for it. If you love your children, you're going to be sacrificing and doing things and losing sleep or whatever else that you would have never done when you were in college. Or let's do this. Like some of y'all uh, like deer hunting. Here's a good example. Deer hunters. I mean, these deer hunter might be some... Fat, lazy redneck that never does anything. But at 3 a.m., Sunday morning, he's up spraying, 
you know, deer urine on himself, going to go hang out in the cold woods by himself waiting for a deer to come along. That's because he loves it. He's disciplined. There's certain disciplined things you do. Because you don't go off into the woods with a, with a lazy boy recliner. You know, somebody holds your rifle while you sip your cocoa. It just doesn't work, right? And so we love it. So, for example, and so we, we think about college football. Or if, if you're a true fan, you're going to go to the stadium. You're going to sit out in the cold rain. And even if your team loses, even if there's a good chance they're going to lose, you go and you're still a fan, right? But here's the thing. You don't go to the stadium. You don't go out in the woods as a hunter. You don't do those things to become a hunter. You do them because you already are. Does that make sense? And so what he's saying here is that the discipline is actually a delight, okay, because that's who we are. It becomes what we are. Okay, so our obedience doesn't make us believers. The fact that we are believers calls us to obedience and to do what the Father wants. And so... Jesus says here, um, you know, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, what is that? I think primarily that commandment he tells us in chapter 13, a few chapter, actually the chapter before this one, he says in verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So he's saying the first, most primary DNA characteristic of the new family is that we would genuinely love one another. That we would love one another, not just in any way, not with our own love language, which is sometimes a cop-out, not do loving enough ways that are hard for you, right? It's, it's the love like I have loved you, he says. You, I want you to love Others in the church the way I have loved you, which is I was willing to go hang on a cross. That is the new DNA. And so what it means is that now we start to act like family. And, you know, that, just start thinking about how we be towards the church and to one another. How are we towards family or good family? Or if you're not in a good family, look at one that does it well. <laughs> right. We, what do we do? We support one another. We serve one another. We honor one another. As a matter of fact, there is um, 59, I believe, one another statements in the New Testament. Here they are listed out. You see them? Okay? And all these one another's are, are commands, are encouragements that teach us what is the new family DNA. What, how, do we, how do we live one another? It talks about loving one another, being at peace with one another, washing one another's feet. I don't know why we would do that now, but maybe that's part of it. Be devoted to one another, brotherly love. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Um, accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, that one's tough. Um, okay, when you come to eat together, wait for one another. So in other words, give deference to others. Have equal concern. Greet another. Greet one another. He talks about serving one another. Uh, stop biting and devouring one another. Um, in other words, gossip and tearing each other up, okay? And it just goes on and on and on. Being patient, forgiving, speaking to one another with psalms, spirits of psalms and hymns, 
Okay, submitting to one another and being humble towards one another, not lying, bearing with one another, forgiving, teaching, admonishing, encouraging, spurring one another towards love and good deeds, encouraging one another, not slandering, not grumble against each other, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, going on and on and on and on. And so now we have a new spiritual DNA. And here's the coolest thing I get to talk about this morning, is that Vintage Grace has done, been doing this. Now, you're not perfectly... That anything, you know, vintage grace, we don't have thousands of people, you know, we're not, you know, we're not saving the world, but I can tell you right now, this small little family, this local family, loves one another, serves one another, supports one another, it really has the family DNA, and that makes me excited and a great joy to be a part of it, and, you know, because, you know, a lot of pastors, and this is easy Tempted, you know, we want the big thing. You know, we want, I want like moving lights and smoke up here or something. Not really. But, you know, like that, what, we, we, you know, a pastor wants a big church, you know, and that's like the thing. We go to conferences and we, we do all these things. We, we read books. How do we do this? And let me tell you what the best church is the church that's living this DNA, that's living in the reality that without Jesus we're orphans, that living in the reality that we are adopted, that we are. God himself is our loving father. And now I got new brothers and sisters. And we can come together. And that will never change. That is the good news. And so, if you're not a believer here this morning, I hope you've been overhearing this. And I want to just invite you. You have invited into this family. You're invited into this new reality. And so what it requires is that you recognize, first of all, you are a spiritual orphan. Without God, you are lost. Without the work of Jesus, you are lost. Okay? However, by faith, by believing and trusting in what he's receiving as a free gift. And we give him some gifts here soon. And we know what it means. You know, nobody's going to pay you for the gifts you give him. Okay? It's a free gift. Receive it. And you are now invited in to this new family. Now, those of you who are believers... Are you living in that reality? Is it like a present reality? It's so easy for us to forget our desperate need of Jesus, isn't it? So prone to wonder, the song says. We all relate to that. Okay, so are you living the reality of our desperate need of Jesus and the beauty of the fact that he has invited us in? And then lastly, are we living the DNA? And how can we live that DNA greater and more? I think one area Vintage Grace could grow in is our great, and I think we do well in this, but our awareness of what's going on elsewhere in the world. I mean, we need to be praying not just for us and our own little needs, you know, my toe needs fixing or whatever, you know, and, and that's good. I mean, we need to lift every concern we have up to God for sure. However, what about the concerns? What about China right now? Have you heard the news? There's pastors being arrested held captive, they're being persecuted, there's, there's, there's uh, literal people being martyred and killed on a regular basis. Are we concerned, are we praying for the church? We really need to be a part of that as well. And that's what it looks like to be the church. And like with uh, the Meltons and Dave, we got, it was a privilege to come along and pray for you. So, I mean, it, it was a great joy and to see God answer a prayer and answer these things. That was a, a great joy. And, you know, it was a tough 
rough journey, and it still is, I know. Um, but, you know, God's people were able to come and be a part of that with you. And that's what it means to be family, isn't it? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your